Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to insert a quick disclaimer. Today's topic includes mature themes that aren't suitable for all audiences, and as always, we will be discussing some pretty spooky stuff, so listener's discretion is advised. Thank you for your understanding, and without further ado, let's get into today's episode. When speaking in terms of the paranormal, they say that intention is everything that the energy you put out will be returned to you tenfold. Now, if you ask me, it's that very reason that makes this field so incredibly dangerous. I mean, as paranormal investigators and researchers, it is often our intention to collect evidence of the other side. Sure, that seems innocent enough when said out loud, but to a spirit, those intentions may sound more like an invitation one that can't so easily be taken back. That, of course, presents the question, how do we protect ourselves? What can we do as investigators to fend off the negativity that we so often face? Well, to be honest, there's always a risk involved when it comes to the paranormal. Whether you're on location investigating claims of otherworldly activity, or you're at home, neck deep in research on the occult in the great beyond. Well, trust me when I say that there are certain dangers that just can't be avoided, especially when a spirit has ill intentions of their own. Even still, there are some precautions we can take. Of course, there's prayer and cleansing. Some may choose to smudge their home with sage or even surround themselves in a white light. But if you want my opinion, setting boundaries or rather good intentions, will always be the best defense against agents of the undead. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the paranormal is no laughing matter. And if intention really is everything, then this is certainly not the place for playing games. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. If you were on YouTube back in 2014, you'd likely remember the surge of popularity when it came to paranormal games. From the Three Kings ritual to Bloody Mary and even the infamous Elevator game, it seemed like nearly every creator on that platform was engaging in activities that could allegedly summon the dead. They called them 3AM challenges and for the most part, they were depicted as games or even recreational activities. They were fun, or so they seemed, but based on my understanding of the occult and the paranormal, it seemed that these quote-unquote games were more or less the 21st century take on the seance. And more often than not, these activities were ritualistic in nature, whether the creator knew it or not. 
Now, it's worth mentioning that these 3am challenges were not solely reserved for content creators. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that a handful of us have participated in activities such as this. After all, Bloody Mary was a staple of many of our childhood sleepovers, and given their sheer popularity, I can't be the only one to find this topic morbidly fascinating. Even still, I should probably note that paranormal games as a whole are almost entirely based in fiction. In fact, the vast majority of these games were written as creative short horror stories that were simply intended to entertain. Although, as they gained traction on the internet some 10 years ago, these fictional stories were quite literally brought to life. And so, for a while there at least, hundreds upon thousands were supposedly playing games with the dead. It's chilling when you put it that way, even if it's all play pretend, which of course brings us back to our intentions. Sure, you could argue that a fictional game couldn't possibly produce real-world results. But on the other hand, even going through the motions would insinuate that the player intended to see results nonetheless, and far be it from any spirit to decline such an invitation. To get a better understanding of the topic at hand, I think we should take a closer look at one of these so-called paranormal games. One that involves a round of hide-and-seek that you play alone. But before we get into that, I'd like to insert a quick disclaimer. This game, if you could really even call it that, carries intention behind it. So it goes without saying that following these instructions could result in unwanted paranormal activity. In light of that, I strongly encourage you to refrain from playing hide-and-seek alone. That is, unless, of course, you're hoping for a haunting of your own. Still, I'd advise against it, but if that's the case, please understand that you're playing at your own risk. According to a wide variety of sources, this game of one-man hide-and-seek originated in Japan. In order to play, one would need to assemble a few common household items, including rice, water, salt, and most importantly, a stuffed doll. Ideally one that isn't human in its appearance. Perhaps a teddy bear or a stuffed dog would suffice. Now, along with these more common components, players would also need to acquire a handful of less ordinary items. And to be honest, it's at this point where the game starts to get sinister. You see, this paranormal recipe of sorts calls for a piece of red thread to symbolize the doll's blood. Players should also have a sharp-ended object on hand so that when the time comes, they can stab the doll. Oh, and if that wasn't chilling enough, Players are also called to stuff the doll with a strand of their own hair. I know, like I said, it's disturbing to say the least. I mean, any ritual that requires elements of the player's body is almost guaranteed to harbor ill intent for the player themselves, which is all the more reason why games like this should never be played. Still aren't convinced? Well, stick around to the end of the episode 
to see exactly what I mean. But first, let's talk about the rules. Truth be told, this game of one-man hide-and-seek is not all that different from our childhood favorite pastime. Although there are, of course, a few major differences. To begin, the player only needs to give their doll a name and wait till nightfall, at which point they should cut a small hole in the doll's abdomen, placing a strand or two of hair inside before sealing the wound with a piece of red thread. Then it's time for the player to wait once more, only this time until the infamous witching hour, the perfect time for a challenge such as this. At precisely 3 a.m., the player should collect the doll and proceed to the bathroom. There, they will need to turn on the sink, and while the basin fills, repeat the following words three times. I am it first. The game has officially begun. And so it's time for the player to leave their makeshift opponent in the sink and leave the room. Now, I can't stress this next point enough. The player should not, under any circumstances, look back at the doll. Because, according to legend at least, doing so would put them at risk of seeing the spirit in their non-corporeal form, meaning that it would have the opportunity to possess the player and not the doll. Instead, once they have safely left the room, players should close their eyes and slowly count to ten. Then, and only then, are they safe to re-enter the bathroom in search of their opponent. Okay, if you've been listening closely, then you probably already think that this game is horrific at best. And you'd be right to, of course. I mean, the steps that we've discussed so far are, simply put, basic instructions to conjure the dead. But be forewarned, that's only the half of it when it comes to this game of one-man hide-and-seek. And if it's even possible, things are about to take a much darker turn. You see, after the player returns to the bathroom, they should find their doll resting in the water-filled sink. It's at this point when the instructions have the player tag the doll as it, repeating the doll's name three times in the process. Now that seems innocent enough at surface level, but I should probably mention that tagging in this game is actually stabbing. Yes, you heard that right. While repeating the doll's name and tagging them as it, the player is supposed to stab their opponent using that sharp-ended object we spoke about earlier. This is intended to aggravate the spirit bound within the doll, giving them even more motivation to act as the seeker for the remainder of the game. Oh, and by that logic, this grants full permission to stab the player in the event that they are found. So now it's the player's turn to hide, which, from my understanding, simply involves avoiding the doll at all cost. Well, that is until they decide to end the game.
According to a myriad of my sources, the player is urged to remain quiet in their hiding spot throughout the doll's turn. Then, once the time feels right, they may reveal themselves and attempt to find their opponent before it finds them. Again, that sounds simple enough. I mean, the doll should still be waiting for the player in the bathroom, right? Well, evidently, this game won't let you off that easy. You see, at least according to several of my sources, the doll should have moved from its spot in the bathroom at some point during its turn. To make matters worse, it will likely have come prepared with a sharp-ended object. So, in other words, the player needs to move quickly here if they hope to win the game. Once they have located the doll, the player must pour salt water onto their opponent. Then, and only then, may they end the game by chanting the following words. I win, I win, I win. I'll level with you. This game, when read out loud, does seem more than a bit far-fetched. And, of course, that really only makes sense. After all, most paranormal games were originally written as fictional stories. And yet, there are numerous reports scattered about the internet from people claiming that this game actually works. One Reddit user, for example, claimed that their doll had moved from its spot on the bathroom counter when they played One Man Hide and Seek back in 2020. According to this account, the player had returned to the bathroom at the end of the game, only to find their doll on the floor with a knife in hand. Another poster cited different yet equally chilling results when they played the game a year prior. In fact, this player had actually been swarmed with cockroaches before the game had even commenced. I know, that's enough to make your skin crawl. So hopefully now you can understand the implications when it comes to these paranormal challenges. I mean, even if they aren't wholly based in reality, you have to admit, stories like this prove that they are more than just a bit of fun and games. Sure, that's a bold claim to make, and perhaps these accounts are every bit as fictional as the game itself. But if you want my opinion, these stories may just be the result of broken boundaries and bad intentions. This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. It's entirely free and takes about 30 seconds, and it would genuinely mean the world to me. Also, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic, I greatly encourage you to check out the show notes section on our website at hauntscast.com. This is the location where I share my sources and provide any visual aid that may be referenced during the show. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on Instagram at hauntscast, or you can join our email list for updates about the show. Thank you again for listening, and until next time.
Happy haunting. As the moonlight pierces through the dark, paranormal enthusiast and best friends, Farah and Courtney venture deep into the woods, armed with flashlights and a sense of adventure. Farah, are you sure this is a good idea? Sure, I'm sure. We're paranormal investigators. We're not scared of any ghosts. What was that? Uh, probably some animals. Oh my God. My flashlight is going out. Following the chilling sounds, the two stumble upon an abandoned and haunted building, its dark silhouette looming over them. Look, there it is. The abandoned radio station. It's supposed to be mad haunted. Let's be careful. We don't know what's inside. Wow, look at this place. A long growl is heard coming from behind the girls. They turn around slowly, and to their surprise, a zombie is standing in front of them dressed to the nines, wearing a 70s bell-bottom hot pink and purple leisure suit. Who are you pasty-looking females, and what the heck are you doing in here? Who are you calling pasty? Nice suit. Did you raid Barry Manilow's wardrobe, or did John Travolta have a yard sale? Uh, sorry about that. We didn't mean any harm. We're just curious about this place. Curious, huh? Well, come with me. I got something to show you. And as they wander deeper into the building, they uncover vintage studio equipment covered in dust and decay. Farah, you were looking for a new place to set up your podcast, right? And this is it. Whoa, whoa there, sweet cheeks. No, 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 don't worry. We'll make it worth your while. We love the strange and unexplained phenomena, true crime, macabre, and the sinister. And hey, you'd be a great touch to the show. Maybe be an announcer for us as well. Mm, that does sound stellar. I'm in. A few minutes later, 12 seconds later, three weeks later, many months later. Okay, we're rolling. Welcome to Studio Sinister Podcast, where we explore stories that haunt us all. And then we'll go make a fresh kill to celebrate. Don. Uh, just kidding. Join Farah, Courtney, and Don the Zombie on the 1st, 10th, and 20th of every month for some rad, chilling stories. And if you piss your pants, that's your problem. Come embrace the haunt. See you soon, Sinister Seekers.